Okay, uh, here we go. Let's uh, turn back to Isaiah, and we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we, working through our verse-by-verse study of Isaiah, have come to the end of the first section of Isaiah. Isaiah is a huge book, so to get to the first mile marker in our marathon uh, exposition is, a, is a, good, uh, a good place to be today. So Isaiah chapter 12. And uh, if you're just joining us or you've been out for a little while or on vacation, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the first time that we have today just sort of summarizing uh, the first section of the book. And and there's a reason for that. The first section really sets the table for the rest of the book. So it's important that we see this and understand this. Uh, So we'll overview that today. And then I want to introduce you to the second section. Um, you guys understand that when you read your Bible, you have to have a sort of expositional transmission at work. And what I mean by that is, is that different places in the Bible require you to shift into different gears uh, in terms of how to read it. Uh, if you're reading a story, you're going to want to probably read a lot broader and get, get the whole story to be able to see what's going on. Uh, if you're in Romans, I don't know, say Romans chapter 9, let's say. Uh, you're going to be going very slowly, just just verse by verse to get all the detail because there's so much theology built in to those New Testament letters. And so we we, we throttle back uh, uh, the engines a little bit so that we can go slower and gain all of that. And the reason I bring that up is that uh, in the next section we're going to get to in Isaiah chapter 13 to 23, uh, we're going to kick this thing into overdrive. We're not going to go nearly as slow as we've gone through the first uh, 12 chapters because we don't need to. Um, what we're going to see is the same pattern, largely the same message, but targeted at different recipients, different audiences. And uh, so rather get bogged down and all of that, we're going to do some flyovers, and then we're going to look at some specific sections, uh, talking about interesting chapters in the Bible. We're going to deal with some difficult uh, sections just, just by way of introduction here. Uh, we're going to talk about the passage in Isaiah that appears to refer to the fall of Satan. I know you're Dying to know uh, what that's all about, and you know, is it is it the is it the king, the physical king, or is it Satan, or is it both? So we're going to deal with that here in the coming weeks. Uh, so we'll stop and, and pull the car over in appropriate sections and, and get out and look around. But for the most part, we're just going to be kind of blowing through this um, because it, it essentially is the same theme applied to different countries and different cities. But before we do that, uh, let's overview part one. Okay, we're going to do that, and then we'll introduce you to part two. Prophecies against the nation. So uh, way back when we first introduced uh, Isaiah, back at the beginning of our year, I gave you a chart like this. Uh, This is from uh, a wonderful little book that if you like to have a little home library of Bible study books for you and your family to use, I'd encourage you to get this. It's called called Talk Through the Bible by uh, Bruce Wilkinson and Ken Boa. And yes, those of you who are old enough are going, Wilkinson, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he's the Jabez guy. That's the same Wilkinson. And this was back before he kind of went off the rails with the whole uh, prayer of Jabez thing. So this is actually a really, really good book co-authored by Kenneth Boa called Talk Through the Bible. And what he does is he's going to introduce to you every book in the Bible. In a few pages, he's going to give you an outline, a theme, uh, some historic introduction. And so it's a great little book to use uh, with your Bible reading plan or when you get to a new book and you're like, hey, I don't know what uh, Ezekiel's about. So this chart is uh, from that book. And um, I-, I like it because he has charts. So I-, I like, like me and Jack like books with pictures in it. So, um, so there we go. So the first section there that we just finished is the prophecies against Judah. Remember, the book is divided into three sections. You have prophecies of condemnation, 
there's a historic sort of, uh, it's parenthetical. It's like a, it's like a sidebar in the book of Isaiah. And then the prophecies of comfort starting in chapter 40. Uh, we know chapter 40 verse 1 is that great hinge in it. Comfort, O oh comfort. And uh, so that's where we're going. So right now we're in prophecies of condemnation. We've just concluded prophecies against Judah. And then, of course, the next section is the prophecies against nations. Now, most of the nations that Isaiah is going to prophesy against in 13 to 23 are Gentile nations. We have some chapters that still deal with Judah and Israel, the Jewish uh, nations, but um, we're mainly looking at Gentiles here, okay? So that's kind of how the book uh, lays out, and I even put that in your notes so that uh, if you miss that back at the beginning of our study, you have that for your reference, okay? Any questions on the outline? Does that make sense? You good with that? Okay. All right, so let's try to summarize uh, part one here as uh, we conclude the section and move on, okay? So th- this is my effort to try to summarize the first 12 chapters, okay? And you you tell me what you think. In the context of spiritual idolatry and the temptation to partner with Assyria for protection, Isaiah warns Judah of impending judgment if they do not repent, but assures them of God's promises to preserve a remnant and bring a future king who will bring redemption and will rule in righteousness. Okay, what do you think? Does that pretty much get all the high points? So that's what part one is about. And uh, so if you're new to Isaiah, here's what you need to remember. It's a prophecy against Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Okay, it is in the context of Judah contemplating a horrible decision to side with the Gentile superpower of the day, the nation of Assyria. And in the midst of that, what's going on in the heart is that they have totally rejected God as their king and as their Lord. They are influenced by the Gentile nations around them. And that spiritual idolatry is playing out into all sorts of moral and ethical uh, wickedness in their nation. So uh, let's just let's just stop and get some uh, details here for those that, that are new or have been on vacation. Um, what are some of the things that Isaiah has said about Judah in terms of their injustice, their, their sin in the nation? What, how is their idolatry manifesting itself in uh, their relationships with others and in their nation? Yeah, they're not taking care of the, the orphans and widows. What else are they not doing or what else are they doing that's, that's wicked? They're arrogant. They're arrogant. Yeah, they mentioned pride several times. What was that? Worshiping they're worshiping idols. Okay, what else? What, what has, this, is, this is the advanced uh, uh, question for the morning. What has led them to just reject God and... We mentioned the surrounding nations and the temptation there. But remember Isaiah's conversation with Ahaz? What was really pushing him to not trust in God? Do you remember that back in uh, chapter 7, chapter 8, right in that neighborhood? You can go back there and look if you want. That's okay. That's allowed. What was provoking Ahaz, the king of Judah, to not trust God and, and to continue on into idolatry? What was it? I mean, he didn't, you guys know, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to be a horrible sinner today. I'm going to reject everything. I, we don't do that. There, there are dynamics that lead us to places like that. Yeah, Noah? 
That's absolutely right. Okay, you hear what Noah said? We have a young theologian who is speaking truth to us here today. So this is awesome. So he said the, the nation of Assyria is surrounding them. And remember, they want to take over the remaining countries that have not been taken into their uh, uh, control yet, which are include Judah and Israel and Syria. And so that's right. So there's pressure from this threat, right? So, so let me just ask you a question in light of Noah's insight. Have you ever made a bad decision because of pressure from the outside? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay. Have you ever not trusted something that you know God tells you to be true because of outside fear or pressure? Okay. That's what's going on. I know what this says, but you've been there, right? I've been there. I know what this says, but I feel like I know what this says, but I'm afraid that, and that, that's, that's exactly what's going on here. You know, we aren't threatened by Assyria today, but the, the message of the dynamics of what happened to this very smart king who had the promises of God. I mean, he, he had his own prophet. <laughs> he had his own spokesman telling him from God exactly what he needed to know, and he still caved to the pressure. So these are, these are relevant things. Okay, so that's what's going on. And uh, in the midst of that, uh, we're almost uh, run the wheels off of this, this slide here, but you need to look at it again. Uh, these are the three themes that we've seen in part one. There is this theme of warning and the threat of judgment. Okay, God's judgment is coming because the people have rejected him and are rejecting his law and are going after other gods and are neglecting uh, his moral will in their life so that's theme number one theme number two is the assurance of a remnant what is a remnant by the way we use that word a lot just make sure that we know what we mean by that what's a remnant that's right yeah the remnant means that god is going to preserve at least a small group of people that will make it through his judgment okay god is not going to completely annihilate his people and there'll be no more jewish nation anymore Okay, that's the remnant. What's the last one? The hope of a future king. We saw that. Um, the virgin is with child, and she'll bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. And then we saw in the next, uh, the next um, uh, section there, that in Isaiah chapter 9, that he would be called, uh, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, right? The government will rest on his shoulders, and then he'll have these four names that you just don't go around naming your kids. Wonderful Counselor. Uh, meaning supernatural counsel. It doesn't mean wonderful like, oh, he made me feel good. Like supernatural, like only God can give this counselor. Mighty God, eternal father, uh, prince of peace. Okay, and he will come. And then, of course, we saw just last week in chapter 11, uh, the root of Jesse that will spring forth in that day. Okay, so that's kind of where we were. Now, in, in order to remember part one, you've got to remember the, his, the history behind it, okay? So I put this up here just because I, I want to rivet this in your mind. Assyria is threatening. Syria and Israel make an alliance. And in fear, Ahab makes an alliance with, with Assyria. And those events create the occasion for Isaiah's first prophecy. Why does Isaiah get up and say, I got to go talk to Ahaz today? What provokes him to do that? These are the three events that provoke him to do that. Assyria is threatening. The northern, these two northern countries, Assyria and Israel, come together and they say, hey, we're going to come together 
to try to come against Assyria and they want to bring Judah into their alliance, so they're going to go take over Judah. And Ahaz panics and says, ah, they're coming against me from the north. Maybe I should side with, maybe I should side with Assyria. And that's what he does. Okay, so that's what's going on. Now, remember, let me, let me just show you this here for a minute. Let me just remind you, um, th- this is, this is the situation, okay? So, other than, other than a little circle right here, all of the rest of this is controlled by Assyria. Okay, so the only territory that is not controlled by Assyria is this little section right here. Um, sorry, the laser's not very bright today. This little section right here, you remember that, okay? So that's why Ahaz is panicking, because he is literally surrounded by a huge superpower nation, okay? So with that in mind, that, that's kind of a, an overview of uh, the first section. So let's jump in now to the second section. Now, the second section in Isaiah starts in chapter 13, and it's going to go to chapter 23. Okay, so let's jump in here. Part two, uh, part two is the prophecies against the nations. Okay, so turn over to chapter 13, and uh, we're, we're going to do the... the the Mach 3 flyby right here, okay? I just, I just want to blow through this and give you an idea of what this, uh, this section, second section is about, okay? So these are the prophecies against the nations, mostly Gentile nations. So you're in chapter 13. Uh, get your fingers ready because I'm going to take you through this whole section here in about five minutes, okay? So check this out. Which nations is Isaiah going to prophesy against? Well, you can see he is an equal opportunity prophet, isn't he? Uh, he doesn't lead anybody out here. And remember, many of these nations or countries are controlled by Assyria. But what we're going to see is some of these prophecies don't relate necessarily to what's going on right now, but what's going to happen in the future. Okay, so let, let's do the flyover here. Chapter 13, verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. Well, where's Babylon? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, are you oriented here? Got the Mediterranean Sea, the Red Sea. Uh, this is what we call Saudi Arabia today. Persian Gulf. Uh, Iraq and Iran are modern-day cities over here. In, in those days, they were called Babylon and Assyria. Okay, so here we go. Israel is that little blip right here. That's the Dead Sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so being oriented now, Babylon is this city that sits on the banks of the Euphrates River. And as you know, well, let's see, where's our history buffs here? Let's see if you guys can help us here. At the time of Isaiah, tell me what's going on with Babylon. Do you remember? History people? Babylon will be, in the next hundred years, after Isaiah's time, Babylon will be a very important player in this part of the world. Okay, What's going on right now, though? Do you remember? I'll take ancient Near Eastern history for 300, Alex, right? Uh, no, one, no one wants to jump into the Jeopardy category? Okay, I'll tell you. So what's going on in Babylon? Babylon and Assyria have been fighting. This region 
and the Assyrian power, which uh, rose from further north, they've been in conflict. And at this point in history, Assyria controls Babylon. And it's interesting because that's going to change, as you know. The, 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 you remember the big sequence of, of history in, in uh, the B.C. era? You've got, um, at this time, you have Assyria controlling. And who's going to take over Assyria here in a few years? Babylon will. And then who's going to take over the Babylonians? The Medes and the Persians. And then who's going to take over then? The Greeks. And then who's going to take over after that? The Romans, and that takes us all the way into the time of Christ, and then, of course, the Roman Empire eventually falls also. Okay, so you got to remember that, right? Assyria, Babylon, Media Persia, Greek, uh, Greece, and Rome. Okay, and that's, that's the sequence of history. So for those of you that slept through history like I did, that's the big picture you got to remember. So right now, Assyria is controlling uh, Babylon, but, of course, that will change here in a few years. Okay, back to the chapter, chapter 14, verse... 1428, do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken, for from the serpent's root a viper will come out. Aren't you so excited to get to understand what that, what on earth that means there, okay? But for now, we're just going to do geography. Where is Philistia? Yeah, it's over here on the coast, right there. Okay, we have a coastal city. Okay, chapter 15, verse 1, Moab, the oracle concerning Moab. Surely in a night, our of Moab is devastated and ruined. Now, now you'll notice a theme here. We've only done three of these. So far, he's not said the oracle concerning Babylon. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. It's the oracle concerning, and everybody's cringing going, don't say our name. And then there's a pronouncement of judgment. These are oracles of judgment on the surrounding nations. Okay, now we'll understand why that is here in a moment. Okay, so where's Moab? What's that? Someone say Utah. <laughs> Wrong continent, dude. Okay. Um, yeah, we're down here in this region south of Israel. Okay, so that's, that's Moab. Okay, back up. Uh, in 17, there's 14 verses in chapter 17 that deal with Syria and Israel. Of course, you know where that is. Um, Syria, in the north here, and Israel. Remember, they've come together in alliance. And so this is a prophecy against them. Ethiopia, chapter 18, verse 1. Alas, O land of whirling winds, which lies beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by the sea. So the idea that this is this is further away, right? This is um, further away from the typical area that we're thinking about here. So if we go back to our map, Ethiopia, or which uh, in that day was called Kush. You're wondering where's Ethiopia? Well, we think of it as Ethiopia. In that day, it was called Kush. Is down here, of course, on the uh, north part of Africa there. Okay. So we're just we're just doing geography here so far. Egypt, you guys know where Egypt is, right? Egypt, where's Egypt? Okay, bottom left there, right under the med there. Okay. Uh, Babylon, we've already seen them. Edom, where's Edom? Got, let's get let's get this side of the room going here. Don't want to let you guys fall asleep. Where's Edom? 
Where? Top of the Red Sea. Okay, right here. Okay. Now, this is the part where I tell you that before you can leave and get coffee, there will be a geography quiz. It's under your seat. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. We won't do that. But you understand, if you're reading the book of Isaiah, you're reading all these names, and you have no clue where they are, what they're talking about, are you going to pay attention to that? Are you going to understand that very well? So you have a nice little map there so that you can navigate through that. And uh, most of your study Bibles are going to have maps in the back that will help you to identify all this. So don't just blow through the names and go, okay, someone's got what's coming to them. I mean, actually go, look at the map, figure out where it is, and, um, and educate yourself on geography. Um, okay, uh, where are we? Arabia? Where's Arabia? Arabia is this whole region down here. Okay, you know, Saudi Arabia, the country today, is much smaller than the actual region of Arabia was in Isaiah's day. So that, that's way to the south between the Red Sea and what we think of today as the Persian Gulf. Okay, uh, Jerusalem, you know, hopefully know where that is. The last one is Tyre. Where's Tyre? Another coastal city, right? Just up the uh, uh, the sea there, right on the... Now, it's interesting. Uh, how many are familiar with the prophecy of Isaiah against Tyre? Um, Isaiah's prophecy against Tyre had a huge influence in my life as a brand new Christian, reading a Josh McDowell book. So uh, I can't wait to teach that. I've never had the chance to teach that before. Um, but so we're going to, we're going to go through all this. Okay. So those are the nations that we're going to cover in those chapters, chapter 13 to 23, the judgments, the prophecies against the uh, nations. And again, you see, you know, sprinkled in there, we have, uh, Israel and, um, Judah, but mostly these are Gentile nations that we're launching into. Okay. Any questions on that, on the geography? Yes, Daryl. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's a great question. So Isaiah is going to come the generation before Daniel. So a Dan- Daniel is prophesying and living when they're actually in exile. Isaiah is prophesying the previous generation. He's he's telling you know warning them so that they don't go into exile. Yeah, so so this is uh, 7th century, right? As we looked at the date, so you have the date range in there. Um, Daniel, he gets deported in the mid-6th century and then lives into the 5th century before he dies. So 586 is the deportation, the first deportation date of the, Babylon, of the Babylonians taking people in Jerusalem into Babylon. Yeah, yeah, so he's coming before. But it's interesting, I appreciate you bringing that connection out because... Some of these prophecies that we're talking about that aren't fulfilled until the time of Daniel and even after, I mean, Isaiah is talking about it, you know, hundreds of years before these things happen. And uh, just a footnote, uh, many of you know, because you've, you've studied this, that um, there are Bible scholars that don't believe in the supernatural. Uh, th- these are the uh, the Thomas Jefferson scholars uh, of the day. You remember Jefferson is, is uh, uh, commendable as he was as a founding father, didn't believe in the supernatural, so he took his Bible and... Uh, scissored out the parts that referred to anything miraculous or supernatural because he just wanted a Bible that had good moral principles in it. Did you know that? 
You can actually buy one on Amazon called the Jefferson Bible facsimile. Anyway, that's off, that's off subject. But, but there are Bible scholars that do the same thing. They want to believe in the morality of the Bible. They don't want to throw it all away, but they don't really believe in the supernatural. So when they come to passages like this and they go, wait a minute, there's no way Isaiah could have prophesied 200 years, something that didn't happen until then. So what do they do? They say, oh, well, it, it must not have been written until after those things happened. So our, our liberal scholar friends that don't believe in the supernatural uh, like to assign a very late date to the book of Isaiah because that then allows them to explain how prophecies could be given ahead of time. Of course, we know better than that, uh, but that's part, of, that's part of this. But good question, Daryl. Any other questions before we move on? Okay, look at this next slide. And I know it's tiny in your notes. I had to shrink it down to make it fit on the page. So uh, get out your reading glasses, please, if you're in that generation. Uh, look at this. I like this slide, and I, I, I would give credit, uh, but I couldn't find out who did it online, so an, an unknown Bible scholar, thank you. Um, this little slide's nice because it, it takes all of the pagan nations and it gives a short little blip of the summary of the prophecy. Okay, so this is the flyover, right? What's, what's going on here? So for Tyre, uh, the prophecy is that they will suffer a, suffer a 70 year Babylonian captivity and they will not be rebuilt until the millennium. You'll see, well, what does that mean? Well, when we get there, I'll show you. Okay. Assyria, the prophecy in chapter 14, we'll see in just a couple of weeks, is to be crushed upon the mountains of Israel. Uh oh. We saw that a couple of chapters ago, didn't we? God's using Assyria as his instrument and then what does God do? He turns around and he judges Assyria for their wickedness. So Ethiopia, hang on guys, this is a little bit graphic. Dead armies to become food for animals and birds. That will be their end. Egypt, be cruelly ruled by her enemies, but later on healed. Um, Philistia will, be, will suffer defeat by Sargon, one of the Assyrian kings that will come after the guy who's ruling currently right now in Isaiah's time. Edom will be destroyed by the Medes. Arabia will have its armies decimated, so on and so forth. So just in just a couple of verses, you can look at this one slide and get a summary of what's going to happen to each of those nations. Yes? I probably should know the answer to this, but this is after the northern tribe had already been scattered by the Assyrians. That's yeah, that's correct. Although um, I mean, you're correct in that, but I do want to remind everybody in light of your question that remember Isaiah is not in chronological order, so he didn't give the prophecies in one to twelve first, and then the prophecies in thirteen to twenty three next, and then it's not in chronological order. It's a th- it's in a thematic order. So um, you'll notice some of those prophecies. You'll say, didn't we talk about that back in chapter six? Well, we did ch- talk about it back in chapter six because he's jumping around. He's not necessarily being linear in his uh, thinking and chronology here. But you're absolutely right in terms of the timing. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I just want to look at an example of one of these prophecies, okay? Because uh, we will look at all of these in some detail, but for the most part, what we want to do is really just analyze what's the main idea that Isaiah is bringing against these nations. And we're going to use Babylon in chapter 13 as an introductory example. Okay, so uh, if you're not already there, because I know we've jumped around, go back to chapter 13. And I want to just read this section. 
And, uh, and stay with me here because uh, we'll come back and, and look at it in a little bit of detail. But again, th- th- as, as I read this, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think that this afternoon when you're watching CNN or Fox News or whatever your source of you know, news is, that you know, there, there's a, I almost said blue light special. I don't know where that came from. There, there's a, there's a um, red alert. No, it's a, what's the CNN? The um, breaking news. Yeah, the break, there's a breaking news. And the prophet of God has come against America. And he speaks on behalf of God against our nation. Okay, I want you to, I want you to listen to this like you are the recipient that you occupy the nation, the country that this prophecy is coming against. Okay, so put yourself in that framework of hearing this, not as we're reading ancient history, but as you're hearing this against you and your nation and your people. Okay, are you there? Just put yourself in that framework. Chapter 13, verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, lift up a standard on the bare hill, Raise your voice to them. Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. For I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exulting ones, to execute my anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains, like that of many people. A sound of uproar, of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. Why are the nations gathering together? Okay, look at the next verse here. For the Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a far country. From the farthest horizons, the Lord and his instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. There's your message. There's your breaking news. God is fueling his jets. God is pulling his army together. God is organizing his tanks. God is preparing for battle and he's coming against you. Verse 6. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them and they will writhe like a woman in labor and they will look at one another in astonishment and their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. And I want you to see that this day will be so horrible for those whom God is coming against that the whole cosmos is affected by the supreme power and might that the Lord of hosts brings upon humanity. Listen to this, verse 10. For the stars 
of the heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. Can you imagine what must happen in the known universe? What must God do? What must God be like when he shows up that the stars burn out of energy? Or in some way God suspends the creation of their light. Furthermore, the sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. So there is a cosmological effect because God coming in his judgment on the day of the Lord is so overwhelming that it literally begins to distort the normal laws of nature as he comes. Okay, let's just soak that in for a minute. I mean, if that's what you're watching this afternoon on CNN Breaking News, that's what Babylon is hearing. They're hearing that God is coming, and he's coming for them, and he is mustering for battle. And we see this repeated to Assyria. We see this uh, 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 repeated to Edom and Syria and Tyre, and Arabia, all these other nations. God is coming. So, so let's, let's just stop right there and let's ask a couple of questions, okay? To kind of get into the, the meat and potatoes here of our, of our discussion. What is the day of the Lord? We, we saw that phrase there, and you've probably read it before in your Bible. But th- this is a red-letter uh, phrase in your Bible. What is the day of the Lord? Okay, Okay. so a great day of judgment, a day when the Lord comes back. Okay, those are true. Tell me about it. What do you know? We see the day of the Lord uh, topics scattered all throughout our Bible. So what do you know? And maybe throw out a passage that you know references it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so here's what we said so far. I'm, I'm just going to be your scribe today, and you're going to tell me what this is all about. Okay. So we're talking about the day of the Lord. Okay. And we've said that it's a great day of judgment. That's true. And it corresponds with the Lord's return, doesn't it? Now, we don't know that from this verse, of course. It doesn't say, you know, the Messiah returns. But other places in the Bible align this day of the Lord with the coming of the Messiah in judgment. Grant. Okay. How so? Okay. Okay, so this is the, a Jewish repentance. Okay. Yeah, okay. And do you have a verse in mind or just kind of pulling back from the theological files in your head there? Okay, yeah, that's right. So, so there, there is, uh, we'll just write atonement. 
and repentance because, yeah, there is a signaling of those things through this event. Someone else? Eschatology 101 here, guys. Yes, Tony. Okay. The vindication, vindication of the Lord's name. Okay. That's true. Rusty, do you have your hand up or you, you just... Okay, so Second Peter three. We got a, we got a Bible reference here. Very good. Okay, this is the the elements melt and yes. Okay, so and and we'll we'll eventually work our way uh, into some of those other passages. For now, I'm just trying to get a summary. So that's good. And yeah, we've we've got the um, we have some. Um, how can we say it? We, we've got the world dissolving. As a part of this, and of course we've seen just today the what we might call the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, stars. Okay, we saw that here. Um, now there is a whole book of prophecy dedicated to the day of the Lord. What's it called? Okay, Revelation in the New Testament. What's the one in the Old Testament? Do you guys not know this? Yeah, Daniel does talk about it, but there's a whole book dedicated to this. Not Ezekiel. It's Joel. The book of Joel is all about the day of the Lord. Maybe we have to study that sometime. Or or get get the tape from Don's class. Don covered uh, Joel last year, so um, yeah, I mean there's there's a whole there's a whole prophecy about the day of the Lord. It's, it's the book of Joel. Um, okay, what else? Yes. Great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I appreciate you clarifying because that may have been confusing. So, what we're reading right here in Isaiah 13 is a specific prophecy against the nation of Babylon. And in that specific prophecy to Babylon, he references this day of the Lord. And so, what I'm asking is. Do we see that terminology used anywhere else in the Bible? And so these are some of the things that we see that we learn about the day of the Lord in addition to what we learn here. Okay, So it is specific to Babylon here, but as we start to look at other passages of Scripture, we say, hey, this day of the Lord doesn't just affect Babylon, it affects all nations. Okay, Great question, though. What's that? A double prophecy? Well, I... I yeah, and there there are double prophecies, but you know, right here, all I'm saying is that this specific prophecy to Babylon happens at a time where it's not just Babylon that's being uh, judged. Right, that's correct. So it, it, it's it's not just including Babylon; it's inclusive of all nations. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on the day of the Lord? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh huh. Hmm. 
That's right. So it comes quickly, and yeah, you've got a whole section in there on instruction and live soberly and, and, and those sorts of things. So that's good. So yeah, the, the day of the Lord is, and you'll see that, how many have read day of the Lord somewhere in your Bible sometime? I think most of us have probably read that. So the day of the Lord usually refers to a final day of judgment. Um, and as you're indicating, it, it corresponds with the Lord's return, that there's repentance involved, there's vindication of the Lord's name. Uh, th- this is not, just, just to go real esch- eschatology on you, this is not the same as the great white throne judgment that Revelation talks about, but this is a day of judgment that precedes that as the Lord returns. Another hand. Yes, Katie. It's, but it's not just a day, like a 24-hour day. It's like a period of time that lasts for, I don't know, exactly long, right? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so, so we talk about the day of the Lord... Um, I mean, obviously, it, it starts on a day, uh, but you're right. We're not, we're not, based on what we're reading, it's not necessarily saying, hey, it all happens in 24 hours, but it starts on a one particular day. But yeah, yeah, good clarification there. Okay, so, so the question we want to ask is, why? Why? Why is this coming? And um, so let's look back at the text, and let's try to ask this next question, Okay. Why does the Lord judge the nations? Okay, so we, we talked about the stars don't light up anymore, and the sun is dark, and the moon doesn't shed its light, and, and burning anger, the day of the Lord is coming, it makes the land desolate, etc., etc. Why, 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 why? Look at verse 11. Thus, I, this is God himself talking now, okay? Thus, I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. And this is, this is just shocking. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. So when we say with the psalmist, how long are you going to let this happen? How long will you let evil and wickedness play out? How long is it going to be where you put your divine foot down and say, Enough! God says in this text, that day is coming. That there will be a day where God will bring justice and vindication on all people and all nations. He will right every wrong He will be sure that every act is paid for, either on the cross of Jesus for those who repent or in eternal judgment for those who don't. And and it's it's shocking, but let me let me read it again, okay? Note the simplicity. We got all this shock and awe and cosmos and suns are melting and stars are why? Because I'm punishing the world for its evil. That's it. All of this happens. You ready? God, God 
takes the creation and puts it in a divine microwave of judgment so that it begins to dissolve and melt away. This creation that he made and loves and designed and is beautiful and he begins to obliterate the thing in judgment because that's how much he hates evil. And that's how offensive sin is. That's how bad our wicked hearts are. You know, we understand this. So many unbelievers don't understand this, that God's holding back of his judgment for a time is not his approval and license for everything that goes on in the world. And you need to hear that. The fact that God does not execute justice and judgment the moment something wicked happens does not mean, like the psalmist says, that he's far off or that he doesn't care or that wickedness is not so much of a big deal. In fact, uh, you may not remember because it was a while ago, Romans chapter 2, Paul says God intentionally pushes this day back. He has his arm, as it were, extended to hold back the coming of this day for a little while. Why does God put off this day? Grant? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. God is not slow, as some count slowness, Peter says. But is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance and faith. So... Here's the thing, and this, put these two things together in your mind. When we wake up and read the paper and hear of another shooting, another slaughter, when you wake up another morning and your trial is still in full bloom, when you wake up in the morning and your prayer seemingly is still going unanswered, and you say, Lord, how long are you going to let this wickedness and this suffering continue? We need to somehow translate that burden that we all feel to recognize that that delay is actually an expression of grace so that more people will repent. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. The burden that you and I feel because of the brokenness of the world today was necessary for you and me to come to repentance and faith. Because if God had simply executed his justice the moment Adam and Eve were chomping on that fruit, there's no hope for any of us. So it may be that the burdens that the psalmist feels, the burdens that we feel reading the paper, the burdens that we feel in whatever our affliction or trial is, are overwhelming and we long for justice. And that's good, right? We don't want to become complacent. We want to say with the psalmist, how long is this going to happen? But to recognize that God is delaying for the purpose of bringing more people to him in grace. But let's not. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Are you the last yeah. one that's going to be saved before yeah. God comes 
And there's some exegetical evidence for that. Terry will get to it in chapter 11, you know, and, and uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles uh, has come in, Paul's language. So yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, introductory, uh, yeah, okay. So, so before we go, guys, let, let's talk about some modern examples here real quick. Uh, we, we have, we have this, is, this is not in your notes, so just, it's in the blank space there. It's there. Um, we have headline news to add here, but can, can, I just, can I just add to the burden that you already feel? Um, I don't, I'm not sure that, well, I know for me, my problem is not usually that I'm just so overwhelmed by evil and wickedness that I'm discouraged, that my problem is that I'm prone to think of my sin and my evil as not as bad as it really is. Did some research for you. The most corrupt nations in the world, North Korea, Yemen, South Sudan, Syria, Somalia, those win the uh, the statistical awards for the most corrupt in terms of politics, police force, government, taking advantage of people and citizens. Let's talk about a dark problem we don't like to talk about. Let's talk about human trafficking for a minute. Human tra- trafficking is the sale of human beings, many of whom are children, for all sorts of sinful and wicked purposes, including the sex trafficking uh, trade. In Pakistan, Thailand, China, India, and Bangladesh, and those, those are just the top five, this is a huge problem, guys. This is absolutely incredibly, horribly a problem. Um, We ought to say with the psalmist, when we hear of children that are being sold to be sex slaves for the rest of their life, how long, O Lord? I didn't know this. Did you know that Russia has the highest abortion rate of any other country in the world? That surprised me. I'd, I'd, I'd heard something like that, but I hadn't done research in a while. Vietnam, Kazakhstan, actually a lot of the former Soviet republics have high abortion rates. Now, now abortion is difficult because... Everybody knows it's underreported, like human trafficking, like corruption. You know, dictators don't get up and say, we're the most corrupt. They just don't do that, right? We have to deduce it from observations and statistics. Um, so we look at those three things that are three of the horrors of the modern world today, and we say, rightly, we say, how long, O Lord? How long is this going to happen? And the message of Isaiah is... There's coming a day when those things will be taken care of. That every person who has taken advantage of a child or a poor person, who has killed somebody, whether in the room or otherwise, 
every lie, every deceit, every taking advantage of others, every gossip, every slander, every sale of a human being. Isaiah says, you just wait. God will make it right. But there's one other thing we need to talk about because we can talk about you know, the, the three horrors of the modern world. But notice what Isaiah is saying. We look back at verse 11 one more time. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. What, he, what is he saying? All sin, which means ultimately all countries, which means ultimately all people come under judgment, don't we? So we, we live with this tension in our hearts, don't we? We look out at the world and we rightly stand in horror and feel the burden of the brokenness of the world. We say, Lord, how long are you going to let this last? Will you come, Lord Jesus, now? And will you put an end to all this? And that's a right response. That's a good response. That's a biblical response. We do not want to grow numb to wickedness. Because God says, I will bring everything to pass. I will bring every thing to judgment and then the other tension we feel is you know what he's talking about me when he says i'm coming to judge all the evil that's you and you and you and you and you and me and all of us so whoever that man was that shot up the walmart in el paso and whoever the guy was that shot up nine people in Dayton, Ohio, and whatever you think is wicked and evil and all of that, the reality is we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all stand before the judgment of God, and none of us survives that unless we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we live with this tension between come, Lord Jesus, and stop this, and you know what? But were it not for his grace, I would be in that same predicament. You know, theologians have used the wording for years that Christians live in the already but not yet. You've, you've heard that before. And that's the tension we feel. You know, we know personal redemption. We don't know global redemption in terms of that yet. So we live with this tension. So what do we say? We, we, we say with uh, Isaiah, God is coming and he will bring everything to judgment. And we also say, thank you, Lord, that you showed grace to me. Thank you that your delay of your judgment allowed me to repent and trust you and to realize that this is my destiny were it not for Jesus. Okay? Put a comma in your notes. We'll come back and we'll talk more next time. Father, we thank you that you are coming again and that you will right every wrong and that all of the wickedness and evil that we see will be will be dealt with in justice in your court and we can trust you in that and we can rest in that even though we long to see that happen now and at the same time lord we realize that every human heart is wicked and that this judgment that's coming against all people is something that we deserve too, were it not from the grace 
that you've shown us in Christ and, and the delay of your grace in giving us time to repent as you draw men and women to yourself. So, Lord, give us grace as we balance that in our hearts, this already not yet tension. Um, thank you that you're coming, and we know you will make all things right. And in the meantime, will you make us eager and consistent and faithful to spread your message to people that need to repent and need to trust Christ. Lord, thank you that you are not slow unintentionally, but you are particularly slow in allowing men and women to repent and come to you. So we pray that you would come and we pray that you would finish the work that you started and that you would bring many men and women to Jesus. Make us faithful, Lord, in this day. In Christ's name, amen.